everybody. My name is Crystal. And my name is Kat. And welcome back to Alternative Interests. Hello. Or welcome for the first time. Yes. Or the second or the third. Yeah. Um, if this is your first episode, I do not recommend starting with this one because <laughs> um, you know what? There's going to be a lot of spoilers in here. So you should go back to part one. Exactly. Well, um, well, before we actually start talking about the um, part two of Darley Routier, I have to ask you. Yes. Have you watched Squid Game on Netflix? Oh, my goodness. Luke started watching Squid Game. He he said that someone had told him not to watch the dubbed version to put on the subtitles and just listen to it in Korean Mm -hmm. and read the subtitles. Um, And so that's what he had been doing. So it's been on in the background, you know, while I've been doing things. Oh, but you don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on, but there have been several times where Luke is watching and he's like, what? No. (gasps) Oh, like he's making you all... You need to watch <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I think I need to sit down and watch it. Did you watch the whole thing? Yes. Oh, wow. In two wow. days. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and if people, Luke's pretty into it. If people enjoy your episodes, <laughs> they will like this show. Why? Is, the, is it a love story? <laughs> um, in a sense. Yeah. There's love in it. There, see, <laughs> just like my cases, there's always love in it. Oh, my God. Sprinkled with some horrific murder. Well, so going into it, I kind of expected it to be a little messed up. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of knew. But then, like, the first thing happens, and I'm like... You're like... Oh, so this is what we're we're doing today. Yeah. <laughs> This is what's happening today. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I recommend it. Um, it's it's definitely not something you want to play with your young children in the room. As um, I explained that my 14-year-old was watching it. <laughs> never play red light, green light. <laughs> um, so moving on to get us back to like a, a quick refresh on Darlie's story. Basically, she and her kids were sleeping downstairs. They fell asleep a little after midnight. She woke up about 2, 2.30 a.m. Uh-huh. Um, to her son saying, Mommy, she sees a silhouette of a man walking away from her. She followed the man towards the utility room garage area, found a bloody knife on the floor, goes back to the living room and starts screaming for Darren, who's her husband, who is sleeping upstairs with the baby. Yeah. Darren comes downstairs and Darley calls 911. I won't play the call again because on it's just very chaotic, but I played it in part one. Yeah, that was. And I thought about that call even afterwards, just like how much anxiety that call gave me, like her voice and her mm-hmm. anxiety just gave me anxiety. And, ha- and had you heard it without hearing the rest, it it was believable. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or it is believable. Yeah. Like her she absolutely panic sounds at like that like someone. Time yeah. Who's panicking and something horrible is happening in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. We may not know the details of what exactly happened, but it is very clear something happened. Yes. Yeah. Um. So while this phone call is going on, 
Darlie's carrying water-soaked towels to the boys to try and help them. The water-soaked Not really sure towels. why she decided to do that. It's yeah. weird. Uh, in the meantime, Darren is attempting CPR on their uh, older son, Devin. Yes. I believe he was the older. I'm tell. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm going to apologize up front right now because there are so many names that all sound the same. If I inadvertently refer to Devin or Damon as the older or younger, I apologize because I still cannot keep it straight. Yeah. Um, I forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, please <laughs> forgive me. Um, this is when the police showed up. They began their investigation almost immediately. They tried their best to lock down and secure the crime scene basically immediately. I do have to make a correction here, though, because okay. I made a mistake in part one that I didn't realize until I was reading through more court transcripts. Okay. So remember, Officer Waddell was the first officer on scene. Yeah. I said that in part one. That is still correct. Okay. What I got wrong is that he was not dispatched to the scene. Um, he's actually a detective. He happened to be very close. With and the he family? responded. Oh, he responded. Um, okay. He responded without telling dispatch. I'll go into details about why I think he didn't tell dispatch later. Is that against, like, protocol? Like It is. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious I'll, to know why you did that. Okay. I'll go into it more later. This is purely my theory. Your speculation. Um, yes. Okay. But essentially, it is very important. Um, if you have ever listened to a police scanner, a vast majority of the chatter on police scanners is them checking in and saying where they are, what time it is. Okay. I, th I think there's a very real reason why he didn't do this. Again, I'll go into it later. Okay. Got it. But... This explains why, you know, during the 911 call, the operator kept telling Darley to let the police in, let the police in. Yeah. But Officer Waddell was already inside. So there was a little bit of confusion there. And that's because Officer, no one knew that Officer Waddell was in the house. Oh. The police officer that the 911 operator was telling her was the actual police officer that was dispatched to the house. His name was Officer Walling. Again, very similar names. So why? So when they were yelling, let the police in the house, why was she not doing it? Because she was confused because there was already one in there. I think a little bit of it is the fact that she was kind of confused. The 911 operator didn't know that one was already there. So Darlie is talking to her husband and the police officer while she's on the phone with 911. And so the operator doesn't understand like, there's a lot of crosstalk. Okay. And um, this actually did come up during the trial that uh -huh. it is damn near impossible to tell who Darlie is talking to in that 911 call at some point. Well, yeah, kind of deciphering everything in that 911 call is is really hard just because of the sheer amount of panic and, yes. and that chaos that's going on. Yeah, the fact that we have the operator, Darlie, her husband... The 911, uh, I think I already said the 911 operator, but the chatter going on on the dispatcher's side of her talking to other dispatchers and police on their side. And then Officer Waddell comes in until so you have that crosstalk too. And so there's a lot of times where Darlie is, 
I mean, the phone's right up at her face the whole time. Yeah. But you can't tell who she's talking to. Yeah. So, uh, Officer Matthew Walling was the police officer that arrived at the end of the 911 call that the operator is like, there's a policeman at your door. Go let him in. Yeah. So, again, this is another case of Waddell and Walling. Uh, just sound very, very similar. They do sound very similar. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Darley was charged, tried, and convicted of capital murder of her five-year-old son, Damon. So Damon is the younger one. Okay. Part one very quickly went over some of the compelling evidence that the jury was presented to. Mm-hmm. Today, I'm going to go over some of that information more in depth. And I'm also going to discuss some of the things the jury was never uh, either they were never allowed to hear or they were things that they did hear in testimony. But it was like a blank and you'll miss it kind of thing. And I think the jury did miss it. Okay. so, yeah, I'll just kind of get into it. Uh, Not in any kind of particular order. This was just as things occurred to me. I'm just writing them down. Okay. But I I am going to start with a silly string video. Because I know that you uh, had opinions. I had many opinions. <laughs> many people have opinions of the Silly String video. Yes. That is so, quite the video. First of all, I mentioned this, but there was a very solemn prayer service that occurred before that birthday Silly String celebration. Okay. I hope so. The prayer service did not make it onto the news. Which I kind of was thinking that like when I was watching the video, I mean, I I thought there has to be more to this video than them just getting like, it's not like they just got out of the car, opened up their plastic bags with silly string from Safeway and started just pouring it. Like, yeah, it looked like they had set up for a party too. So, um, it was a birthday party because that was Devin's sixth birthday. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And it was Darlie's family's idea. Okay. I don't know if it was her mom or her sister or both, but they were the ones who had the idea for this party. Okay. They had the idea for this, not only because it was Devin's birthday, but because the neighborhood kids were terrified. They were saying they were having nightmares that this knife-wielding stranger was going to come in their house and kill them in their sleep. Okay. Because Darlie's house was the neighborhood house that all the kids went to. So Uh, these neighborhood kids that are friends with Devin and Damon were terrified. I bet. Yeah. So Darlie's mom was like, we need to show them that it's okay to feel safe. We need to give them something that's a little happier right now which makes sense so Darlie was crying before this all happened because remember she had just had her boys memorial service yeah but she had also just come from the police station where she had given her official written statement and she had been speaking with the police for hours wow so uh, she was upset and she was late Darlie and Darren were actually, I think, two hours late for the memorial service because the police had kept them there for so long. And see, all of this is stuff you don't hear when you see the video, right? When they showed it on the news. Oh, there's so much more. Yeah. Okay. There's so much more. Let's keep going. 
Um, so because Darlie was upset, her mother actually took her to the side and she was like, you need to calm down because the neighborhood kids are going to be here soon. And you need to to be like the face of like calm because like she's like the neighborhood mom. Yeah. Um, they wanted this to be a celebration to reassure the kids that this was a very Christian community. So they wanted to reassure all these kids like the boys are with God. They're not suffering. They're fine. Yeah. Darlie's sister is the one who brought Silly String. Oh, so it wasn't even Darlie. And it wasn't even planned. It was just like, a, hey, here you go. This yeah. this will be fun. So all of that still doesn't really feel like a big deal. It's like, okay, circumstantially, we can understand it. But that video is still pretty weird. Pretty damning. Yeah. Yeah. Um. If you were looking at it just like if you thought what that video presented is exactly what happened. Like now hearing you tell me all of that other stuff, I'm like, it makes me feel differently about that video. You're going to feel even more differently. Okay. Remember I told you that one of the jurors said that they watched that video seven times during deliberations, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. This was a very uh, heavily weighted piece of evidence to the jury it's very clear well that juror that said that they watched this seven times has since provided a sworn affidavit saying that he if he had seen the full surveillance video he believes he would not have convicted darley really in his opinion that video was one of the biggest nails in darley's coffin and they didn't get to see the whole video i agree with him now Notice I said surveillance video and not news story. Oh, yeah. The jury saw the news story. They did not see the surveillance video. So they saw that clip that I, that we that we watched from the news and none yes. of the before in it or any there of was, that. There was surveillance video and audio taken from the graveside that the jury never got to see or hear. Oh, Wow. Couldn't that now, be a, a mistrial or a retrial? No. How did how did her uh, how did her, def- her I'm telling you defense team not fight that? They tried. Listen to this. Okay. This is where this gets so messy. Okay. The investigating police illegally placed an open wire on the gravesite. Because they wanted to try and catch a graveside confession from Darley. Oh. So Texas is a one-party consent state. Uh-huh. So they could have recorded any conversation with her, with any person, as long as one person knew that the recording was happening. Yeah. The thing is, no one knew that this wire was on the grave. Oh. Which means this was a full illegal wiretap. Wow. So... Why didn't the jury hear about this? Detective Jimmy Patterson was one of the main policemen who was heavily involved in the investigation. Prior to being a homicide detective, he he actually used to be a narcotics officer, which sets up a little bit of context here. The day that he was testifying on the stand, the defense brought up the silly string incident. And they started asking questions about recordings made that day. Uh huh. He speci- the defense attorney specifically asked, 
Do you understand what federal law is as regards to monitoring private phone conversations? And Patterson immediately was like, I don't know what you're asking. So he, the defense attorney was like, well, you used to be a narcotics officer, right? And Patterson was like, well, yeah. And the defense attorney was like, so then I assume you know the laws about uh, surreptitious recordings, right? And Patterson was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Detective Patterson pled the fifth on the stand. What? Yeah. Um, immediately after pleading the fifth, the judge took him off the witness stand. Why? So they're they're in the middle of a direct examination because Officer Patterson was not a prosecution witness. He was a defense witness. Oh, a defense witness. Okay. Because the prosecution didn't want to put him up. Oh, because they knew. Yes. Okay. So. That's shady. Patterson was just like, I don't want to answer any more questions until I've spoken with a lawyer. So instead of allowing a different path of questioning, the judge was just like, yep, you can come on down and we'll we'll be done with you. It was weird as hell. So the next day, Patterson is put back on the stand. And presumably he's had a chance to talk with a lawyer, right? Uh Uh-huh. Before the jury was brought in, they had a hearing. And the judge told the defense and the prosecution they were not allowed to ask Patterson about the graveside recordings because he had taken the fifth. They would not tell the jury that he had pled the fifth. And if anyone asked questions about it, they would immediately be shut down. The judge said he didn't want anyone asking about it because the officer would be required to plead the fifth again And that would catch the jury's attention. And he did not want to prejudice the jury against Detective Patterson. Why is that all confusing to me? Um, Basically, the judge said, you're not allowed to ask about this. And no one's allowed to talk about this. Because he, Officer Patterson has a right. So do you know what um, the Fifth Amendment is? Yeah, it's. If you are going to be answering a question that may potentially incriminate you. You, Yeah, you can pass on it. Yeah. Yeah. That in itself is pretty big red flag. Guilty. Yeah. Uh-huh. The judge didn't want the jury teed off to this. Oh. Because the defense was trying to prove that Officer Patterson's entire testimony was perjury and should not be allowed. So who is the judge on the other person's side then? Yes, the judge was heavily biased. Oh my, this all sounds to me like mistrial. How is this not mistrial? It's not. That is insane. And can I tell you really quick, I appreciate you putting it into uh, simpler language. <laughs> so that I, yes. I was like, when you were explaining it the first time, I was like, thank you for dumbing it down for cats. Putting it in cat language. Thank you. I appreciate it. Not just you, but most listeners don't know the difference. Okay, either. good. You're welcome, everybody. I didn't okay. understand either. Um, so the defense, this is, uh, says again, they're like, okay, um, can we ask for other people's names who were involved in this recording? And the judge said, yeah, sure. If, if you want to know, like, ask him. Yeah. So Patterson was sitting there and the defense attorney turns and goes, 
can can you give me the other names? And Detective Patterson goes, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> so the judge is helping him out here. The judge says, is that because you could potentially incriminate yourself with your answer? And Patterson says yes. So the judge said, that's fine. You're how, how did the defense team not fight any of this? They tried. But the, the judge sounds like wasn't good. Yeah. Okay. So their, their hands are tied, basically. So basically, the judge said, told the prosecution there. He was basically like, you know, if you find out who what other names were involved in this, you are instructed to provide this information to the to the defense immediately. And they agreed. They said, yeah, sure. Um, the state did not believe that the recordings were exculpatory evidence. So they had actually given the recordings to the defense team. I'll go into this more later. Mm-hmm. But the defense didn't receive a lot of uh, evidence until it was presented at trial. They didn't get it in advance. Oh, really? I'll go into it I thought later. This, uh, how can right now, and, and forgive me if I'm being ignorant, but knowing what we know now, and I, and again, I know I haven't heard the entire story and this is going to be three parts, but how, how is this not like grounds for mistrial, for retrial, for, uh, any of it? It's coming. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that I There's can't answer to okay. later. Okay. So I'm getting ahead um, of myself. The prosecution was able to give two names to the, to the defense. So after this hearing, the judge was like, let's take a quick break before we bring the jury in. So they take a break. They come back and they're like, is everybody ready to bring the jury in? And the prosecution says, hey, wait, here's some names. The defense was like, judge, I'd like to read the evidence to get it on the record. And the judge was like, we don't need to do that. So... They were able to slip it into the official record because um, the defense attorney was like, can I just ask, please, uh, does this say Roberts or Roberts here? Because he wanted to get this name on the record. So he was like, can you just double check this spelling for me? And he read the name (laughs) like he wanted to get these names on the record. Uh, Basically... These were members of the Garland Police Department Uh and the Rowlett Police Department was the one who was in charge of the um, investigation. So this is now two police departments involved in an illegal wiretap. Oh, my gosh. They asked for the, the defense called for a mistrial for not being able to cross examine their witness. Yeah. And the judge said no. Well, of course the judge said no. The judge is obviously not on their side. Uh, me as the defense team, I would be like, I like, <laughs> what can we do at this point? Yeah. Uh, there was an additional hearing later on that um, when Detective Patterson was on the stand, he had a red folder with him that was supposedly the official record of the investigation. And there was no mention of any kind of wiretap in it. No requisitions, no trail, no serial numbers. All of that stuff is recorded somewhere, but none of it was in this quote unquote official record. Okay. So the defense again wanted to try and call for a mistrial 
Because if they let left out this whole record of the wiretap, what else did they leave out? Exactly. And the judge said no. Well, uh, of course. Can I ask you what's so if this is so this obviously happened. But do you know what is the defense team's like? If something like this is happening and they obviously have a feeling that the judge is siding with prosecution, they is can't there do anything? They can't do anything until after the, the trial. I mean, they can bring a motion up um, afterwards for a mistrial, but but I guess a judge is a judge. It's not like well, some what happens sometimes is that the appellate judge ends up being the original judge. That is crazy. And they're like, I wasn't impartial. Because I want to ask for the judge's manager at this point. Like, <laughs> like, I, like the defense team should have been like, let me speak to your manager because this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. they Oh, they can't do it. So what the judge did say is that um, the defense, if they wanted to show the video, the full surveillance video to the jury, they were welcome to do so. The prosecution said, yes, we're fine with that. Show them the video. A big question that many people have here is that if the defense had this full video that had the prayer service included in it, why did they not use it? Because they never showed this video to the jury. Okay. The hearing and the verbiage from the hearing in the official court record makes it painfully clear why the defense chose not to. So only the visual recording would be allowed. So no audio, just the visual. Yes. Of that particular scene we're talking about. Yes. So they were not allowed to ask any questions. No context. They're not giving them context. They're not saying what happened before any of that. They're not allowed to say anything. And because there's no audio, they can't even ask the police officers like, what's going on here? What's being said? Because that leads back to the illegal wiretap, which the judge has said is off limits. So then the the jury just gets to infer what's going on based on their knowledge yes. and their opinions. Yes. That's crazy. And that's why the defense ultimately chose not to use the video because it wouldn't help them. Yeah. They could not ask the questions they needed to ask because the judge had just flat out said, you're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. And if I was her and they decided to show it, I would fling myself against the TV or like lift up my shirt and show my boobs so that like no one watched the video. Yeah. Because I mean, like that would probably make me look really bad, though, too. Um, especially because they made a big deal about her $5,000 implant. Especially during my trial. Yeah. But hey. The jury would have seen some pretty nice boobs. Um, so additionally, because because the judge had said they couldn't question it, they couldn't touch it, they couldn't even crack open a window. It was it, there was a whole discussion about, well, what if they open a door? And the judge was like, if if there's an open door, you can you can take the open door. Um the judge didn't even want it to come close enough for the prosecution to object to the questioning because the objection would call the jury's attention to it and that would prejudice them. And so the judge was like, don't even talk about it. 
That's crazy. Um, yeah. This so, whole thing is crazy. And that's just one piece of evidence and we could spend forever on it. So I'm just going to move on. Okay. Um, there was a huge argument over whether Darlie's injuries were self-inflicted or not. Because well, because it, she didn't, she have, give me, tell me her injuries again. She had a slash to her throat, a cut in her shoulder. Uh-huh. She had a very superficial scratch to her left hand. She had bruises on the outsides of her forearms and she had a cut on her right forearm. How deep was the cut in her neck? I'll get into it. Okay. Okay. There was an expert with witness that testified that the bruises on the outside of her arms were consistent with blunt force trauma. Such that may happen during a physical struggle. So basically this person was saying that if she had been in a fight, this is normal. Another witness, some of the nurses, in fact, said that when Darley arrived at the hospital, she had no bruising. At all? So that's what they said. Okay. So what the prosecution said is that while Darley was in the hospital, she wasn't hurt enough and people weren't buying her story. So when she went home, she beat up her own arms to add more injuries. <laughs> Not even kidding. <laughs> The cuts on the outside of her arms were confirmed to be consistent with defensive wounds. So, okay, like, think good. about in every movie where, like, a car is driving off a cliff the way they put their hands up. Yeah, yeah. In uh, front of their face. Yeah. The, like, that part of her arm is what was cut. Okay. That makes sense. I didn't go into much detail about her wounds in part one because they're such a huge point of contention. And I needed to talk about them more in depth now. So like I said, some of the nurses and doctors who treated Darley were brought in as prosecution witnesses. On direct examination by the prosecution, a couple of them actually referred to the large cut on her neck as superficial. Um, in medical terminology, a superficial wound is one that's uh, superficial. It's um, on the surface. It doesn't really go deep enough to hurt anything. And a deep wound is one that penetrates deeply. It probably caused some damage. Um, so those are the two ways that you refer to wounds. They're either superficial or they're deep. Uh-huh. One of the doctors treating Darley called the neck wound superficial. Oh, okay. So not very deep. If you, uh, on your neck, there's this sheath of muscle that runs from your jawline down to your collarbone. And it's called the platysma. So like if you take and you lean your head so that your ear goes to your shoulder. On the opposite side of your neck, you can kind of feel that solid flat sheath of muscle right there. Right. Yeah. On the. Yeah. I'm feeling it's it. really close to the surface, but you can yeah. feel it. Uh huh. For neck wounds, the way that they uh, very quickly assess a neck wound, if it's deep or superficial, is if it goes through the platysma. Oh, if it if it does not penetrate that muscle, it's superficial. If it does, it's deep. Yeah, because that would also take a lot of uh, a lot of push to, to get through that to yeah. get through that because that feels when you when I'm tilting my head like this, that's pretty strong. It, and it's it's solid. It's a, like literally a sheath of muscle. I'm actually feeling pretty fit right now. Uh, feeling <laughs> that sheath of muscle, <laughs> the only so, solid muscle on my body, probably. So the doctor said that on superficial examination, the platysma had been penetrated. 
Oh, just hearing so, that. Yeah. So now that means you, there was force there. Someone had a knife and that was forceful. The thing is, the prosecution was like, oh, superficial examination. Superficial. How is that superficial? That's the problem. Is that in medical terminology, a superficial examination means that they're just using their eyes. They're not tearing you open. They're just what I can see without digging. Oh, my. What did they want them to do? Like, like tear her skin open? It's the fact that they use the word superficial. That is the medical terminology, but it's what the prosecution latched onto. I need to talk to the judge's manager and the prosecution's manager now. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So despite this, the doctor said their professional opinion was that the cut wasn't that bad. If it cut the, sh- the, the my neck sheath, it is bad. I don't well, think I could do that to myself. Listen to how bad this is. On cross-examination, the defense was able to explore more into the determination of deep versus superficial. That's how we got that whole description of the platysma. Yeah. And they got the doctor to admit that since it had penetrated the platysma, it was a serious cut. Good. Good. Cross-examination also got us some interesting information that told us how bad the cut was. So, so how bad apparently, was it? Um, this cut was bad enough that you could see the carotid sheath. Oh, ew. the carotid sheath is a the very very thin membrane that encapsulates the carotid artery. Uh huh. The carotid sheath is about one millimeter in thickness. Oh. The cut to Darley's neck was one millimeter away from the carotid sheath. Oh, she got lucky. So the carotid artery, if it's cut. It's your, it's done. You can bleed out in 15 seconds. Holy crap. I mean, that's for a more serious cut. If it's, even if it's a nick, it could take a couple of minutes, but that's a serious cut. And if I'm just trying to cut myself to make it look like I was attacked, I'm probably going to be super careful that. And I wouldn't even go for my go deep. No, I'd be going for something like. Stabbing myself in the shoulders and like the the, arm. Maybe like my. My thigh. Yeah. Places that you know you're not going to ruin anything. Yeah. Maybe take myself out of running for a while. Yeah. So Darley was essentially two millimeters away from bleeding out. That does not sound like a superficial wound. No. Uh Uh-uh. At all. Gosh, Darley is, she's confusing me. It's like part one, I was like, she's guilty. Part two, I don't know. Yeah. So um, let's talk about some blood evidence. So remember I mentioned Darley's t-shirt, that sleep shirt that she was in? Yeah. It had blood stains from both of the boys on it. The prosecution said that these were cast off stains from when she was lifting the knife up. Uh-huh. It must it, the blood had to have dripped onto her shoulders yeah. on her shirt. The blood stains on Darley's shirt that had um, this DNA in it were small. They were about single drops and they were mixed DNA, not just the boys. It was Darley's DNA with the boys DNA this means that all the locations they tested had a mix of the boys blood with hers 
there was no instances of just the boy's blood on her shirt anywhere that they tested. Really? Um, the way these were described was that they had, quote, single tails upward and to the left and do not appear to be overlaid. What this means is that essentially this could have happened two ways. Either we have a single mixed drop that fell on her shoulder. Uh-huh. Or we have two separate drops that fell on her shoulder in the exact same place, in the exact same direction, four times. Because there were two spots they tested. So it had to be two spots of Damon's blood and two spots of Darley's blood. That perfectly overlaid. Yeah, that's kind of impossible. So there was no other blood but those drops on her nightshirt? I mean, there was her blood was absolutely everywhere. But there were, like, they tested blood from all because they don't just test one little spot I think they tested seven or eight spots from her shirt so she's pretty bloodied up right either way yes. whether it's her blood or the boy's blood because I when you were saying that I was just picturing her night shirt with just a couple of drops of blood on it and and then I was like that's a little odd especially for her injuries and then no, it was absolutely soaked as a but mom these, yeah okay these portions up on her shoulders uh-huh were single drops that were kind so of off she, by themselves. So, and I think where the prosecution is coming from is holding a knife up and the drops of blood. But right? remember, I'll I'll reiterate this later, but remember the prosecution is saying that Darley stabbed her kids, staged the crime scene, then stabbed herself. How does her own blood get mixed in there if she didn't stab herself until way after she stabbed the boys? Yeah. So um, Tom Bevel was the blood spatter expert that the state hired. Uh-huh. And Lloyd Harrell was an investigator for the defense. Tom, the blood spatter expert, met with the defense team before the trial. This is completely normal. It's like a, hey, here's what I'm going to say. It happens like on both sides. Lloyd, the investigator, was there during this meeting. Tom told the defense that in his expert opinion, those blood drops on the T-shirt could only have happened at one time. So one mixed drop falling on her shirt, not a drop of Darley's and then a drop of the boys. So it happened at one time, not two times. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. When Tom got up on the witness stand to testify during trial, he said that in his expert opinion... The drops happened at two separate times. At two separate times? So he so, gets up on the stand and he says something completely different than what he told the defense team. Oh, the defense team must have like this. This case must have driven them to like become alcoholics because I would be just beside myself. Okay, so listen to this. Remember I said that Lloyd Harrell, the investigator, was in the room when the blood spatter expert was talking to the defense, right? Yeah. Lloyd was never planning on being a witness in the trial because he had worked on everything. He was helping the defense team. So he was sitting in the gallery the entire time. And so he's sitting in the gallery going, this fucking guy just changed his story. Oh, my gosh. So the defense goes to the judge and they're like, we want to call Lloyd Harrell as a witness. 
And the judge said, oh, geez, um, you know, that follows a, under rule of evidence and um, he can't testify. What? So rule of evidence is basically they sequester witnesses for a reason. They don't want witnesses hearing each other's testimony because it might affect your testimony. Yeah. Because Lloyd had been in the gallery and heard every single testimony, the judge said, yeah, I'm not putting him on the stand. Oh, my gosh. This is insane. Okay, so there's a loophole here. Okay. And it's called the hearsay exception. All right. Basically, because Lloyd heard the original testimony of the blood spatter expert, uh-huh. he could be put on the stand to get up there and say, yo, this dude just lied to you guys. Oh, the judge overruled it and said Lloyd was not allowed to testify. Of course. This judge. Who is this judge? Because I am done with the judge. You'll be more done. There's so much. Oh, more. my gosh. It's like, it's like, but wait, there's more. But wait. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the prosecution argued that Darlie stabbed the boys before staging the crime scene, then cutting herself. So... How could her blood, I, I said this before, how could her blood have mixed in that that drop if she hadn't even been stabbed yet? Yeah. It's like the the magic magnetic blood. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. That's crazy. The defense tried to have this t-shirt thrown out as evidence because there was not a proper chain of custody established for it. So remember in part one, I mentioned that the paramedics cut this shirt off her while she was on the gurney. Uh huh. And then that shirt stayed underneath her body when she was delivered to the hospital. Okay. That t-shirt was put in a plastic bag and given to the fire department. Why? And because that's just what happened. And the police collected it from the fire department. And that's not a proper chain of custody. No. And you're telling me that who, whatever fire department, whatever firefighter got this evidence was it was like, oh, cool. Thanks for this bloody T-shirt. We're not the detectives, but this is cool. Like they didn't give it just right back to the police right away. That the seems police a little. Didn't give it to them. It was the hospital staff that gave it to them. Oh, why were the why were the firefighters at the hospital? I, the paramedics delivered her. I know it got back to the fire department. Somehow? Yeah. Okay. Um, additionally, the inside of this plastic bag that the t-shirt was in had blood stains on it, which means that the t-shirt was wet with blood when it was put in that plastic bag. Oh. The shirt wasn't really folded any particular way. It was just kind of dumped in the bag. So who knows what happened with the blood evidence? Like... It was not preserved very well, so different parts of the shirt may have seeped through and soaked different parts. So you cannot reasonably tell a story with the bloodstains on that shirt. Yeah, yeah. Um, The sink. Remember the sink had blood dripped in front of it. There were stains on the faucet handle and like the watered down blood in the sink. Yeah. The prosecution said this was because Darley slit her own throat over the sink and then cleaned it up because <laughs> Darley <laughs> Darley said that she'd been by the sink wetting towels for the boys which um, is also a little odd and we've talked about that 
Yeah, and you know, when you're when you don't know how to properly address a first aid situation, who knows what you're going to do. Exactly, but I think in that situation, I would have just grabbed towels. I don't think I would have worried about wetting them. Although, I think I do remember in part 1, I was all about wetting the towels and I'm not quite sure why now. Yeah, and she can't even explain why she did it. Yeah. It's probably one of those panic things. Like you're just like scrambling. Yeah. So that was just a really quick reminder that that was a thing. Um, remember the bread knife yeah. that they said they found fibers on this bread knife that were consistent with the cut screen. Uh-huh. The problem with the fiber that they found is that it's also consistent with the fibers of fingerprint dusting brushes. Okay. The window screen was dusted for fingerprints before the knife. And so either there was cross-contamination with fibers from the screen being deposited on the knife by the brush uh-huh. or those fibers were just plain brush fibers. Those fibers were okay. So, so they can't know, additional... tell the difference between those two. Well, you would think with like some additional testing, they might be able to find out more. Right. But you know what? Who cares? Let's not do it. <laughs> there was so little fiber evidence that after the prosecution did their initial analysis, there was nothing left for the defense to test. Oh my gosh. Usually this would result in evidence being inadmissible, right? Because yeah. you can't duplicate the testing. Exactly. Somehow they still allowed it. Of course they did. You know what? Nothing's going to surprise me anymore in this case. Sorry. Oh. Sorry to that chick. I mean, she was up against like a, what, what do you call that? She was up against an uphill. No, it was an, is she a hill? What it what are the, a rock in a hard place? No. I don't know what you're talking about. A hill about. and a battle. Maybe <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I think I'm confusing too. You know what I'm confusing? I'm confusing uh an uphill battle <laughs> with and... with a hill to die on. Like I'm not gonna die on that mountain. Oh my god. <laughs> I, it's nighttime. Okay. Um <laughs> I, I, I'm just scrambling your brain with all this information. You are. This is like too much. This is overload for Kat right now. This is my favorite right here. Okay. Okay. I think you know me well enough and listeners know me well enough by now that like I love a good timeline, right? <laughs> yes, you do. I love using timelines yes, to fuck some shit do. up. <laughs> I've got a good one. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so, I'm ready. I've said this so many times, but really quick because this is so important the prosecution says dabby dabby darly ah dabby darly stabbed both of her boys staged the crime scene including that sock that was found 75 yards away because don't forget about the sock. yeah who could then forget? she comes back in she sliced her own neck, uh-huh. neck cleans up the sink and calls 911 plausible I, I believe it i think that could happen no oh you have to hear how ridiculous this is. So we're going to we're going to explore just exactly how long she had. So okay. the medical examiner that did the autopsy on Damon testified that it, it was hard to tell with Damon's injuries exactly how long he would have survived. OK, she guessed as little as two or three minutes, but as much as eight or nine minutes. Remember, Damon actually gasped and opened his eyes when the paramedic turned him over. 
So we have to work nine minutes backwards from there. Okay. So that's that's the end of our nine minutes. Paramedics testified that they were waiting in their vehicle approximately 90 seconds to two minutes before they were given the all clear to enter. So I'm going to go on the lower half of the end of that. I'll say 90 seconds. All right. So now we're at seven minutes and 30 seconds in this timeline. Darley was on the phone with 911 for five minutes and 44 seconds. So now we're down to two minutes and 16 seconds. And remember, the clock starts after Damon is stabbed. Okay. So Darley has two minutes and 16 seconds to do all of this. So listen to this. She has to stage the whole living room, including throwing a wine glass on the floor and cutting the screen to the garage window. She has to run a sock with Damon and David's blood on it 75 yards down the alley and then back to her house. I found a police academy training video on YouTube that shows an officer doing a 75 yard dash. Uh He wasn't sprinting, but he wasn't like uh, slow. It was a a good paced jog. Uh Uh-huh. It took the police officer in the video 25 seconds. So double that for Darlie to get out and back. That's 50 seconds. Yeah. Her blood was not on the sock. So she would have to run that sock out and back before cutting her own neck and her shoulder and her arm. Darlie was right handed. So she would have had to cut her throat and her arm with her non-dominant left hand. Then she would have had to clean up the sink. And then she would have had to pick up the phone to start calling 911. Yeah, that is impossible unless she is like Flash. I was going to say unless she's the Flash. Exactly. Two minutes to do all of that. No. Now, sometimes I can, I'm a pro cleaner and I can get this house clean if like within minutes of someone coming over. But not two minutes. I need like a good 10 minutes head start. And I can make this house look like I am a professional cleaner. But that... But but that's making it messy and cutting yourself and cleaning up blood. Yeah, that's impossible. Yeah. So did they... Did the jury hear that? Um, I don't think they heard a breakdown quite that explicit. Um, But the defense did kind of say, like, you guys. Like, come on. Really? Yeah. Use your brains. Remember, I mentioned the rule of evidence where witnesses hearing each other's testimonies is an issue. Uh Uh-huh. Well, a couple weeks before the trial, all the state witnesses met with the prosecution team to review their testimonies. Again, remember I said this is normal. It's you meet with them just to really go over one last time. What are you going to testify about? Yeah. What's not completely normal is to have all the witnesses in one room together while you're doing it. What? Yep. So aren't you tainting the witness? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. When is Um, this going to (laughs) end? So the nurses were brought together for about 45 minutes. Uh, The police and all the investigators were brought together for a couple of hours. Um, This resulted in some pretty massive changes in testimony. And I'm actually going to get into that in part three because it's just so much that I cannot get into it now. Okay. Okay, um, one of the biggest issues that I don't think caught the full attention of the jury, like I said, one of these little blink and you miss it things. Uh-huh. James Crone, remember, he's the um, retired detective who was hired as a consultant. Okay. He arrived at the crime scene about 6 a.m. 
and he got some preliminary information from Walling and Waddell. Okay. Stuff like this was a homicide. This is where the victims were. This is where it happened. This is the parts of the house that are involved. Stuff like that. Stuff that's like if I'm coming in like off the street, I need to know so that I know what to look for. Yeah. He began a walkthrough of the crime scene approximately 610. He took about 25 to 30 minutes to complete this walkthrough. By 6.45 a.m., he told the investigators that there was no intruder at that house and that someone inside the house had done it. And he was on, he made that, um, he made that opinion uh, just 20 minutes being inside the house. Yes. He hadn't talked to Darren. He hadn't talked to Darlie. This is so maddening because if this was me and I was in her position, I would honestly, during this entire trial, I would feel hopeless. And that's, do you see why she took the stand? Yeah. 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 100%. So, I mean, because of this, there was some information that just plain was not investigated. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, additionally, when the police went to the hospital to collect evidence from Darley, they did not even bother to take nail clippings because at that point they didn't believe there was an intruder. Oh my goodness. But also on top of that, nurses had already begun cleaning Darley up because they didn't know, like they just, this was a victim to them. But someone was like, hey, the police need to come and get DNA and evidence from her. So they stopped. They had already started cleaning her hands at that point. But they took the rag they were cleaning her hands with and they put it off to the side. They didn't toss it anywhere. It was very clearly like, hey, save this. I didn't see anywhere in any of the court court transcripts that mentioned if the police actually took that rag. Really? So what evidence was on that rag that they didn't get? That is just, this is so maddening. Um, more things that weren't investigated. Darley had told a few people, including Darren and her, some of her friends that, you know, recently she'd been getting a lot of weird phone calls. Oh. Of like people calling the house and just hanging up. There was also a black car that was seen near her house several times in the weeks leading up to this night. Oh, no. And police never really looked into it. I I believe it. This chick has the worst luck ever. Yeah. Uh, So there's actually a lot of people who think that Darlie's attorney lost this case for her. There are many people who think that it is her attorney's fault. Oh, really? I feel like the attorneys are like... Well, they had no other choice. Like, oh, things are. Oh, listen to this. Okay. So she was originally represented by a different lawyer. She switched at some point. I don't fully understand why she changed. I know something happened. She changed. I don't know what happened. She switched to Doug Mulder. Okay. Darley's original lawyers were going to go with the theory that Darren had something to do with this mm-hmm. and to introduce reasonable doubt. Remember, I did bring this up in part one. Mm-hmm. Mulder never said a word about it. He didn't present it as a possibility to Darley. He didn't bring it up in trial. He didn't do it. That's so weird. And people think this is the reason why. 
Doug Mulder had represented Darren and Darlie Key at a pre-trial hearing. Remember, Darlie Key is Darlie Routier's mother. Okay. There was a gag order in this case where the judge said, hey, everybody shut up. And Darlie Key had done an interview on TV, clearly breaking the gag order. Okay. Doug Mulder represented them at this hearing. And pretty shortly thereafter, he took over as the defense attorney for Darley. What a lot of people believe is that Mulder learned information from Darren during this really short time he represented him. And due to attorney-client privilege, he couldn't use that information as a defense for Darley. Oh. So I'm going to tell you why this is such a big deal. In July of 2002, some pretty crazy evidence came out. A private investigator working for Darley's appellate attorney reported that he had found some information. Darren had admitted to Darley's stepfather, Bob, that uh, he wanted to know if he knew anyone who would break into their house as part of an insurance scheme. What? An author of a Texas Monthly article said that they confronted Darren about this. Like, this author went to Darren and was like, hey, what is this? And initially, Darren was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a lie. So he denied it? But the journalist said, oh, because I have these sworn affidavits. And Darren was like, okay, yeah, maybe I did. Oh, wow. This is not the first time that Darren had an insurance scam. Because did you know... A few years before they bought their house on Eagle Drive, this big, gorgeous house, Darren pulled an insurance scheme where he had someone, quote unquote, steal his Jaguar so that he could get money for it. Why? It seems like they're well off. Why would he even have to do that? It was before they were well off. Oh, so he was just, did they ever prove it? prove um that like the, he was the guilty. second scheme yeah that he was guilty of it no there was no um evidence that's been found to say that he actually did it okay but uh in part three because there's a part three i'm really sorry there's just too much and part three of this mess um i actually will talk about some information i actually just found like an hour ago oh about what may have happened in the scheme or in the crime in the crime oh okay you found it an hour ago yeah is it new stuff no i just i'm still actively researching (laughs) you know Um, what i love is that like (laughs) you can tell the difference between our research styles because you like fucking go in depth (laughs) like you go in deep and me it's almost like I'm a puppy and I'm just looking like I just let's get to the murder let's get to the murder I'm like and then and then you ask me like those in-depth questions like do you think the prosecution knew about the but and I'm like yeah I don't know anyways so listen to this like listen to the gossip I like Uh, yeah so um we couldn't be more different (laughs) yeah so um we we've been talking for almost an hour about this and (laughs) And god damn there's still so much more information 
So let's call it a day. Oh, really? We're going to. There's. Uh, because honestly, there's just so much information. So can you tell me, does this ever do we please tell me there is a clear resolution? Like in the end, after all of this shit, we are going to find out the truth. No. Fuck you. There are there have been several appeals. I'll talk about the let's see. Let's see if I can tell you what I'll talk about next week. Yeah. Um, I'll talk to you some more about the massive differences in testimony because some people's testimony changed quite a bit. Um I'll talk to you about some issues that I have with the trial itself. Um not so much the things that happened, but the court reporter. The court reporter? I had some issues with the court reporter. So now I'm going to have to call the court reporter's manager? Oh, yeah. We're calling everyone. We're calling manager. everybody's manager after this. Yeah. We're, at this point, <laughs> let's just go to the Texas state governor. Exactly. Like, uh, part three is going to be the end um i cannot make this four parts yeah please i can't don't. spend i can't spend a month of my life on yeah. i have already spent a month of my life on this actually yeah um yeah so uh whether it's 60 minutes or three hours part three is gonna be the last part well thank you and fuck you because this whole <laughs> thing has really frustrated me so oh it is a roller coaster <laughs> So. We'll be calling all the managers pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I I would love to hear what listeners yes. have. Yeah. What they think. Um, I'm gonna make. Oh, there's gonna be visuals next week. I I love a good visual, a good theme, oh, Jesus, a good visual, a good murder. Favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um. You know. How, I got to spend another week on this. Yeah. So. Enjoy that time. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're all suffering together. Now. We are. We are. It's all of us. So yeah, uh, we will see you next week all for right. the conclusion. Come hell or high water. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Goodbye. <Bye. laughs> Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>